Today it's a privilege for us to have uh, Brigitte Sion. Uh, Brigitte is from NYU. She's a uh, faculty fellow and a new professor in the, the NYU's uh, program in religious studies and also in the Department of Journalism. She's a writer, editor, translator, and teacher, and also and comes from a political community active background, which is also very important and interesting to her work. She has a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and she majored in covering religions and uh, religious beliefs. She has a doctorate degree from NYU, which she completed in May of 2008, and her thesis examined the performance of memory at the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin and, and, and the memorial of the dispersed, uh, disappeared people excuse me, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. She's written four books on social and cultural topics, one was about theater performance in Nazi concentration camps, and one was on the history of Reformed Judaism in Switzerland, where she is from. Um, she's also, she was the director of projects of, uh, for, for the photographer Frederick Brenner, and the executive director of an organization which combated uh, anti-Semitism in Switzerland. So, this rich background, um, Bridget will speak today about her title, The Top, this is entitled, oops, covered up. Uh, the Jew is a bloodthirsty butcher, laws banning ritual slaughter. Um, so, it's a privilege to have you here. And Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you, Charles, for the introduction and for inviting me to, to speak and to, to Lisa for organizing such wonderful uh, seminars. And to Lauren, where is she? Thank you. Thank you, Lauren, for organizing this. Um, so the, the topic of the day is, seems a little strange because it's a, it's a topic of anti-Semitism that is both modern and old um, that could seem somehow insignificant uh, when you look at the other topics that you're addressing in this seminar and um, uh, what I'm going to try to, to show you is how it encapsulates uh, larger concerns that are both uh, very contemporary and transnational. Um, so shrita is a Hebrew word for traditional animal slaughter, or the technique of slaughtering animals according to religious law in order to obtain kosher meat, or uh, that is meat that is acceptable for consumption for observant Jews. So without going into graphic details, even though a little red in the title helps, um, I'd like to just say that shrita involves one quick um, cut on the neck of the animal without prior stunning, and that then the um, uh, the blood must be removed before consumption. The point today is not really to examine whether shrita is more cruel or more humane than other forms of, of animal slaughtering, uh, because for de decades to this day, there's a battle between physiologists and veterinarians and, and all kinds of, of doctors and activists whether to, who are debating these issues. And I think a, until the day when a cow is going to come back from wherever, saying, saying, well, you know, this method is better than the other one, there will not be a definite answer on, because we can't, basically we cannot measure uh, the suffering of an animal at the time of death. So, I'm not even interested in going there because it's, to me it's a no, it's a, it's a non-story. Um, what is interesting to me is the fact that small countries, and uh, I take Switzerland as, a, as, an, as an example because that's where I'm from and that's where, uh, uh, that's what I know best, um, small countries with an insignificant Jewish population, with an even more insignificant population that keeps kosher and for which those matters are important, um, 
have adopted a ban on shkita. And um, what I'm interested in, in showing you is in what what the uh, what the official and the what the outspoken and the tacit uh, motivation um, and arguments were and are, and how those um, those specific ban is actually a cover up for a different for for a, di a new form of anti-Semitism, maybe not so new. So, um, through the attacks on, on Shkita, we can actually find four very classic stereotypes of anti-Semitism. The first one is they side, Jews murder Jesus, and continue to do so in repeated manner, manners. The blood libel, the ritual murder of Christian, a Christian child, usually for the uh, purpose of baking matzah for Passover. The third one is the, the Jew as the inassimilable other, the Jew is everywhere and belongs nowhere. And the Jewish greed and Jewish conspiracies control the world. Um, so I will look at the, um, the relationship between ban on shechita and classic anti-Semitism through three periods in history that I'm interested in. The late 19th century, uh, and specifically the ban on shechita in Switzerland, and you'll see that it has uh, reverberations in other countries and other, and other times. Um, the Nazi period and the contemporary period, specifically uh, the year 2000 and onward with the, um, the second intifada to today. Um, so, little, so, little flashback to Switzerland, 1893. Um, Switzerland is well known for its, uh, besides the chocolate, the milk and the watches and the banks, though these days banks are not so great, um, very well known for its direct democracy. What a direct democracy means is that um, if, if someone, me for example, a Swiss citizen, wants to have a national vote on any specific topic that I find of interest and of, of public concern, obviously, if I gather within, um, I think, the course of two years, 100,000 signatures, valid signatures of Swiss citizens who are uh, willing to vote on this matter, it can be, through kind of a long process, it can be put into the national vote as a referendum. And um, this political option was offered to Swiss citizens for the first time in 1892. And the first object on which Swiss people could uh, vote as a as what is called a popular referendum was actually the ban on ritual slaughter. Uh, it's quite interesting that this is the first uh, the, the first item that they they um, they got interested in. Uh, and who initiated this? Uh, the vice president of the uh, of the cent of the, of the what is his title is very long. The vice president of the organization for the protection of animals in the German-speaking part of Switzerland. You know, like Switzerland, like Belgium and Canada, is very split uh, linguistically and culturally. So this is happening in the, in the German-speaking part. And this man Keller Yegi is his name. Uh, sees the opportunity that was offered to Swiss citizen to organize a referendum and. Um, and in, 19, in 1893, was able to collect the, uh, the, the number of the signature required. At the time, it was only 50,000, um, so that people would vote on, uh, on, a, on a revision of the constitution. What is interesting then is that he gathered not just 50,000, but 83,000 very, very quickly. Um, and one of the ways he, uh, he was able to do that is to, um, to offer the people who were collecting signatures some money. So it was like you were hunting for, for, for signatures and at the same time you were being paid. Um, the, um, the, at the time, the object of the referendum or, uh, regenerated a feisty debate uh, in Switzerland. Uh, 
mostly originally scientific arguments. Is it cruel? Is it not cruel? Do, they, do the animals suffer or not? But very quickly also it drifted towards uh, Jews and the religious customs of the Jews, which were described as, I quote, backwards, oriental usage, or religious crap. So what sounded very first, first like an opposition to religious practices in general turned out to be motivated by anti-Semitism. Keller Yegi himself called Jews to, I quote again, put the final end to this hoary relic and free themselves from these Middle Ages ossification of religion. Um, on, on, their end, end quote. on their end, animal protectors argue that modern times demand modern techniques, that civilized people should cut ties with dark ages and obscure practices. And also the progressive minds had something to say then, and they claimed that animal slaughter was a question of progress and civilization. Interestingly, the text of the constitutional revision related in very general terms to, and I quote, animal slaughtering methods. And the, the, the text was that uh, animal slaughtering could not take place without prior stunning of the animal. That was it. It's a very short article. But the, the debate focused exclusively on Jewish practices, um, exclusively on, the, on, on ritual slaughter and not any other you know, slaughtering techniques or any other religions or any other approaches and methods. And um, the opponents to, the, uh, to this practice could be found among animal rights activists, uh, hardcore secularists who didn't want any kind of special treatment granted to any minority, any religious minority, and enemies of the Jews who were the most outspoken, uh, although of course they always claimed that, they had not, that their motivations had nothing to do with anti-Semitism. However, if you look at media reports, at letters to the editor, at um, uh, popular culture such as songs, poems, caricatures, uh, photographs, etc., etc., you realize how the debate was just filled with um, anti Semitic cliches. So, the first uh, cliche that's behind the, uh, behind the, uh, the ban on rituals on, on animal slaughter is the day side. Um, even before that, actually, the picture I have here is, a, is from a, a, a satirical Swiss newspaper uh, magazine that still exists called Nebelspalter, and uh, this is a, a uh, an image from 1883 where you have David killing Goliath, and even there the image uh, is not with the, um, what do you call this? The, uh, Thank you. <laughs> the slingshot, but with a big butcher knife, and there's blood spinning, and he and David is cutting the neck exactly where the uh, the the, the, the slaughterer usually uh, has to has to cut the uh, the neck of the animal. So it's no it's no coincidence. Um, that uh, uh, David here is considered as the first slaughterer, and that was uh, uh, that was the image that was that continued to to be carried. So um, I think I have another image that's more to do with with Jesus. Here we go. Uh, jumping a little bit in time, but you get the idea. Um, the day side originates way back in history when Jews were accused of having murdered uh, Jesus. Uh, and were completely responsible for that. Of course, we know that the accusation lasted until 1965 when Vatican II um, officially said that Jews had bore no responsibility, and at least not now, um, but we know how you know, uh, official paperwork doesn't necessarily uh, apply in, in, in real life. So, um, in the, 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 this is an image from a French newspaper, from a French magazine, with a, a drawing by a, actually an, 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 a communist uh, uh, caricaturist, 
uh, Hans Tupo, who writes, um, who has this image of a, of a, you said the Star of David, but I don't need to explain to you, and two uh, crucifixes. By the way, the, the one on the left has, a, has a, a French helmet. This is the middle of the war. And he says, kosher meat, very profitable, not very expensive. And, um, and this image of the day side was con continued and to be carried on during the Middle Ages through other incarnations, such as the desecration of the host, uh, with images of, of Jews stabbing with a knife a host and the host bleeding. So it's a, a, an iter another iteration of the murder of Christ with the, you know, not, not just symbolically since the, the host is bleeding. And, um, and it continues all the way to ritual murder. And we know that ritual, mur ritual mur murder, which will later be called blood libel by, by scholars and, and legal experts, um, starts off in the, um, in the uh, 11th, 12th century in Europe with the idea, the accusation that uh, Jews needed once a year the blood of a Christian child to bake uh, unleavened bread for Passover. And so, uh, at the time of the, of the Middle Ages, the, this accusation led to the expulsion of Jews from more than one European country, England, Germany, Switzerland, uh, France, to name a few. And this accusation carries on, and if we go now, I'm just skipping centuries, but to the 19th century, the accusation of cruelty through animal slaughtering was a very handy evocation of both the very old anti-Jewish attacks that had been internalized by the population, and that triggered immediate negative reactions because they were associated with the day side and the ritual murder. Here's an example of a Polish postcard from 1899. So this is the time of the, the ban on Schrita in Switzerland. And um, it had to do with the, uh, one of those blood libel uh, trials, uh, in this case in the, um, in the uh, in a, uh, Czech-speaking uh, region, where um, a woman disappeared, was found dead, um, with a gash on her neck. And immediately everybody said, oh, obviously some Jew did it because that's the way Jews slaughter uh, Christians, uh, among other things. And a, a man named, uh, a Jew named Leopold Hilsner was arrested, um, very quickly tried and sent to, first originally was actually, uh, uh, was convicted of, of, with a, with a uh, capital punishment and was saved the last minute and turned to, into a life sentence by the, um, by the president. Um, it's only 69 years later, in 1968, on his deathbed, that the brother of the victim confessed that he had killed his sister to get her money. Um, but, and there are tons of stories of this kind. This, is, this picture, I think, is interesting because uh, you see the, um, the, uh, the victim being, being held and carried just like you, you, know, you would see a cow there. Um, and, uh, and the knife, and the and the two, and the three Jews, and the uh, and the, the literally the blood spilling into the bucket because they're going to use this blood for a very specific purpose. Um, needless to say, this makes no sense when you know that Judaism forbids the consumption of blood. But this is besides the point. Um, so other examples of, of blood libel at the very same time as we're talking about ban on on, on animal slaughter, uh, you have the uh, Tisha Eschlar case in Hungary in um, 1883, and then before that there was the Damascus Affair and the Rhodes blood libel, both in 1840, 
um, the Czech case of Hilsner, as I said, in 1899. And so this is the, 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 the time where um, the, uh, the blood libel accusation reappears um, throughout Europe and beyond and, um, and feeds the climate of suspicion against uh, Jewish practices that involve knives and blood and, um, and, uh, uh, and some kind of, uh, of death. Um, just for the, uh, for the historians in the room, uh, more, uh, more blood libel situation took place in 1903, in, uh, that was the Kitchenev, the Kitchenev pro pogrom was actually uh, a reaction to that. Uh, in Shiraz in Persia in 1910, and in the, and the famous Bailey's case in Kiev in 1911-1913. So the, the, 19, the late 19th century was really a propitious time to accuse Jews of cruelty, of thirst for blood, and of other sanguinary practices, um, and animal slaughter participated in these barbarian customs. Um, the second theme that I want to address is the, the Jew as inassimilable foreigner or other. Um, Back in this area of the late 19th century, around 1880, half of the 7 million European Jews lived in territories controlled by Russia and Austria-Hungary. Half of the 7 million. So that's about 3.5% million. And at the same time, the migrations of Eastern European Jews uh, grew, both because the cities in the East were overcrowded, um, they, was, they were getting poor, there were pogroms, uh, they wanted to escape the very long military service, um, restricted admissions to university and so on. So we have a wave of immigration to the West, mostly to France, Germany, Belgium, and Switzerland. In 1888, for example, there were 8,069 Jews registered in Switzerland, which was a growth of 5,000 compared to 35 years earlier. That's not a huge wave, uh, but anti-Semitic discourse was very pleased to, to, to use this as, a, as, a, as an argument to fight this immigration. And, um, and this image then was the image of the Ostjude, the Jew from the East, which uh, dressed like a bum, spoke a language that nobody could understand, that is Yiddish, of course, only other Jews could understand it, um, and had all kinds of weird rituals that nobody could really understand, or, that they, or they, because they belonged to another agent and, and civilization. Uh, there's a Swiss newspaper called the Buxitzeitung, which was um, a pretty widely read conservative newspaper in, from the Bern region, um, and I quote the, the newspaper that says, a Jew remains a Jew because of his oriental and unsophisticated origin. And so, um, in this climate, very, a very interesting thing happens historically in Switzerland in 1873. I'm going back now, 20 years before the ban on ritual slaughter. 1873, Jews are granted citizenship in Switzerland for the first time. And... Um, this did not happen out of generosity or enlightenment by the Swiss government. It, it was a resu the result of, of pressure put upon Switzerland by the US, France, and the Netherlands, who had just brokered some kind of trade deals with Switzerland and made it a condition to the, trade, to the business deal that uh, it would only happen if all uh, their, of their Swiss citizens were treated equally on Swiss soil and, um, and vice versa. And so Switzerland had to, uh, to accept because you know, you never, Switzerland, you never miss an opportunity to have a business deal. And, um, and, ag and agreed to grant full civil rights to, to its um, Swiss citizen. That was in 1873. And of course, uh, it really seems that the, that the Swiss were forced to accept the Jews 
but somehow they would kind of restrict this this uh, this immigration there and their settlement, and that's how 20 years later they find this tr the trick of banning uh, animal slaughter to really lim limit the immigration of Jews. Um, it's uh, it's 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 um, it's it's almost obvious when you when you see this this kind of of coming and going of uh, of pendulum between you know we give you something we take off something from you and it goes on and on and on in the in the relationship between Switzerland and Jews uh, to this day. Um, the the one of the arguments behind, that had to do with this uh, restriction of immigration from uh, from uh, Eastern Europe was that there was a fear of überfremdung, that is the overwhelming immigration of foreigners uh, with the risk that it would alter Swiss identity. That's a long definition for one word in German, but that's how German works. <laughs> it packs it off in one word. So uh, there's this really the risk of alteration of Swiss identity, um, of the Swiss fabric. And uh, this is exactly the same concept that will be uh, used in 1933 um, uh, with the, the first restriction of asylum policies, and in, especially in 1938, I remind you that the brilliant idea of the J on the passports of German and Austrian Jewish citizens came from Switzerland. Switzerland is the one is the country that asked Germany um, to mark the passports of German Jews so that they would know at the border who was in for the good reason and who was not, and they could they could easily turn them down. Um, and that has been a, a dirty little secret from Switzerland until 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when those things came out. Um, uh, and this allowed also Switzerland to say we are not accepting political refugees, and they consider Jews as political refugees. So um, uh, I'm, 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 I'm drifting a little bit from my, my butcher stories, but just to give, you, to give you a sense of how this idea of being overwhelmed by the foreigner played out in the late 19th century when and using uh, the ban on ritual slaughter to restrict this immigration, but it was an ongoing philosophy in terms of asylum policy in Switzerland. The third theme was um, greed and conspiracy theories. Um, and it's not obvious immediately that animal slaughter was also associated with Jewish greed. Uh, indeed, it felt that Jews wanted to keep their slaughtering practices so that they, could, they would not have to deal with other cattle, uh, well, more like meat dealers and butchers, and they, could, and they would thus contribute to the popularization of local farmers and butchers. And um, so the, the idea was that if Jews, since Jews and their slaughtering methods were inhumane, uh, and peasants called their allies not to do business with Jewish uh, cattle dealers and butchers, so this way you could guarantee the human, humane tra treatment of animals. There's also a fine thing in German that I found a lot in the uh, in the Swiss, uh, uh, in the Swiss press and other things, which is the um, the sound, the very similar sounds of the word schechte, which is the the slaughterer, and and schacher, which is the user, and you know we can play with a kind of puns and juxtaposition and, and misunderstanding very easily, and um, and it, it really it really helped um, uh, create this kind of in this in this uh, caricature again from Nebelspalter, you have um, uh, the court butcher at work. And the, the, the blade has the word uh, loan on it, and so the, the Jew is, uh, with his big knife, is destroying the, uh, the peasant's house, and, uh, and the peasant don't realize this, they think it's a good thing that uh, they get help, they're being held by the Jew. Um, what is interesting there is that um, we have now a, a, a shift from the animal to the Christian. 
from the uh, the the cow to the uh, uh, to the or from from the sacrificial lamb to the innocent Christian that he's being slaughtered, exploited um, for the profit of the Jew, and this will be um, this will be an ongoing theme uh, later on in in, uh, in history. So uh, very quickly, you know all about Jewish conspiracies to control the world and poisoning wells, etc., etc. I just want to give you a quote from the same Buxit Zeitung that I quoted earlier that says, um, at the point where they're about to vote on this ban, and, um, and someone says, uh, it is a shame that we should continue to tolerate cruelty towards animals. Had Orthodox Protestants, or us Catholics, uh, such murder and torture in our religious principles, we would have to give them up immediately. But not for this shitty people, excuse, this is a quote, excuse me, which poisons the media, the stock market, and the people, and lectures us to be tolerant. In other words, what else are these Jews going to oppose on us, uh, on us? And they already control everything. So in, in those terms, really, the reign of the Jews meant the ruin of the Christians. And uh, this is all happening, again, 1893, a year before the Dreyfus Affair, uh, a few years before the, uh, uh, 10 years before the, uh, the publication of the uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and, 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 and it, which gives you an, a, an idea of the, uh, the anti-Semitic climate of the time. And so, in, on August 20, 1893, 47% of Swiss citizens took part in the first popular referendum and approved the ban on ritual slaughtering of animals by 60%, in spite of the opposition of the federal government and the parliament. A majority of the votes came from German -speaking, the German-speaking area, where the referendum was initiated, and um, with the very big help of animal rights organizations. Um, so, this was uh, like a first vignette of where the, uh, this, this ban on, 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 uh, on uh, ritual slaughter took place in, um, in, uh, in Europe in the late 19th century. I'm just going, now going to, to move to the Nazi period, because what is very interesting is the, when the Nazis took, took power in Germany in 1933, one of the very first measures they took against Jews was to ban ritual slaughter. In April, uh, on April 21, 1933, this is, the, uh, this is the text of the law. And um, uh, Nazi propaganda, of course, claimed that uh, Nazism made animal protection one of its top priorities. Uh, we know, all know that Hitler was a vegetarian and so on. But what is very interesting, and I quote one of the uh, an, a Nazi party member who was also a professor at the Veterinarian School of Munich, who says, German customs must, must rule again, we must put an end to the Jewish cult of blood. And there you go again, the, the idea of the cult of blood, um, which is so foreign to Judaism, it's, uh, you know, as Google said, the larger the, the lie, the better. So um, it's, it's very interesting to see how the, um, the ban on ritual slaughter uh, allows to legalize anti-Semitism. And it's, it's the idea that if you're, the Jews are, 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 uh, are enemies of the animal the same way as they are the enemies of the, of the Germans. Uh, I'm giving you another quote from, uh, from the Frankfurter Volksblatt, which was, uh, uh, you know, of course, very close to the, uh, to the Nazi party. And um, one of the writers says, I will not tolerate any longer that animals born on German soil painfully die through the sadistic oriental slaughter method. If the Jew can't eat our meat, he can have turnips and potatoes, or go to Palestine, end quote. At the time, of course, they had the choice to go to Palestine um, or elsewhere. 
Um, but um, what is, I find you know, fascinating that there's uh, the idea of uh, you're a foreigner and if you don't want to abide by your own rules, then go away. And I'll tell you, I'm telling you this now because it's going to come up much later in a very su surprising fashion. Uh, in Nazi times, a lot of you all know a lot of, of uh, propaganda magazines and films uh, used images of very old images of uh, of ritual murder, uh, equating them with ritual slaughter, and um, and showing Jews that are you know keen on on on, uh, on killing. Uh, Christians, children, animals, whatever, to, uh, to uh, feed their, their thirst for blood. Uh, there's a very famous scene in the Eternal Jew, the movie, the propaganda movie also, that has, uh, that has its, its dose of, uh, of, uh, of blood, and, um, and Jews performing the, those, um, those slaughters in the land. What is very interesting is that Nazi laws influence other European countries. Um, very briefly, uh, other countries that are, have a very small Jewish community, uh, insignificant community that eat, keeps kosher, um, but definitely was, were somehow influenced and to this day have a ban on ritual slaughter. I'm thinking Sweden, Norwegian, uh, Norway, and, uh, and later on Iceland. So uh, at this point we have four countries in the world that ban ritual slaughter, um, uh, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, and Iceland. Um, and uh, in those days, the idea, um, again, is the Jew as being a foreigner. I'm quoting a, 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 a Swedish member of parliament, Karl Lindhagen, who was one of the initiators of, uh, of the vote at the Swedish parliament to ban Shrita in 1937. And he says, Jews are guests who could either submit to the law or disappear, which is pretty much the same alternative that they had in Germany, which is either eat potatoes or go away. And, um, and then, and it's... Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it, was a, it was the main argument that led to the vote in 1937. Of course, countries that were occupied by Nazis uh, also had to, uh, were also imposed the ban on, on, on ritual slaughter. France, Belgium, Poland, Holland, Czechoslovakia, etc. All these laws were removed by the Allies in 1945. Um, but um, the, the, the same anti-Semitic discourse uh, remained um, in the background. I'm now fast-forwarding to the early 20th, 21st century, the years 2000, and um, today, as I said, we have four countries in Europe which, with a very small Jewish community that still ban ritual slaughter. Um, what is interesting is that today we have a very large Muslim community in Europe uh, for which uh, slaughtering practices of animals are also important and, 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 uh, and ordered by religious law. Um, what I found quite interesting is that it's when there's a debate about the Muslim community and their needs and their religious needs, it's very often completely separated from the, uh, the, the Jewish matters. Not that they're not discussing about halal meat and the ways to, to uh, slaughter animals according to, uh, to Islamic law, but it, it's very rarely put together, uh, which makes sometimes when you have attacks against Muslims, you have some similar uh, similar cliches of the, the foreigner who has uh, archaic uh, rituals and things like that, but I found that most of the time the two are split. Um, and I want, to, I want to address two two cases. Um, I'm going back to Switzerland and then we'll go to the uh, Arab Muslim world to, to, to end. 
In September 2001, the Swiss government decided that this law of banning ritual slaughter was a little outdated, and given the fact that now not only the Jewish community, but really the Muslim community of, of Switzerland um, uh, had the right to complete religious freedom, they thought they would very quietly reinsert, or uh, rather exempt those two communities from the ban, and, uh, and allow them to slaughter animals without prior stunning. And so they thought that this would be a matter of, like, who knows, who cares, nobody, nobody really follows Swiss politics. Well, everybody did. And what was meant to be a very smooth exercise turned out to be a feisty national debate uh, with the ugliest forms of enticement I've ever seen. I cannot tell you how many death threats I got from home, at home and, uh, and calls from butchers who were very unhappy of what I was saying um, in places of Switzerland I had I never heard of. Um, but um, uh, what was very interesting is that the, the, is to take a look at the reaction of both the Muslim and the Jewish community. And the Muslim community decided not to respond to that and just say, "Well, let's wait. Let's take, let's wait for the thing to be over. And um, and uh, if we're asked to say something, we'll say something. But let's just wait for the hurricane to go over." Um, the Jews in Switzerland, very small community, never never used to being in the spotlight. Uh, decided to go to the front, and uh, and that was probably a mistake, and the result was just more anti-Semitism. We were barely, uh, we had barely recovered from the, uh, the the national debate about Switzerland's attitude during World War II and Holocaust assets uh, uh, in Swiss banks, etc. And there came the Jews with another request, and that was just too much. So it was the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, um, but it led to exactly the same type of discourse, which is what kind of cruel and barbarian uh, practice do you have? Uh, you've always been interested in blood. And um, they pushed it even further. They wanted to ban the import of kosher and halal meat into Switzerland. Um, and at which point Jews and Muslims said, well, what do we do then if we want to eat kosher or halal meat? And the answer was, just become vegetarians or leave the country. And you have this new pattern again of the alternative is change your diet or go away. Um, in the end, the Swiss government uh, gave up the idea of changing, of giving this exemption, and uh, the uh, the uh, animal rights activists went so far into wanting to uh, revise the constitution with this with those new amendments of the of banning the import that everything fell apart and we're in a status quo situation. Um, I'm not going to go into that for the sake of time, but you've all heard of the, uh, it's not a very, very good picture, of the, some campaigns of some animal rights group, such as uh, PETA here in the US, or others in, uh, uh, in Europe, of uh, equating the Holocaust and, the, and animal slaughter in general, um, and in particular when it comes to uh, Jewish slaughter of, uh, uh, of animals. So this one is it was a campaign from I think 2002, the Holocaust in your on your plate, um, with um, a, an image of, of uh, the concentration camps with with a, uh, with a, uh, prisoner of the concentration camp on one end and cows behind bars on the other. Um, there's a, there are a, a lot of cases in in Europe about uh, suddenly fringe groups that are finding some kind of common interest in getting together, whether they are neo Nazis, they are um, uh, even Holocaust deniers, um, animal rights uh, fundamentalists, um, they also fight for the right of the lobster and the rights of the frogs, um, and, and other kinds who finally find some kind of common ground, common interest 
in, in fighting specifically um, uh, traditional uh, animal slaughter. Uh, what is one thing about this is very interesting is that you have a, a, a kind of a one of the phenomena of the post-Holocaust um, uh, expression of anti-Semitism, which is the inversion victim-oppressor. And so um, one of the, 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 the arguments there is to say, well, uh, look who the victim is now, and look who the oppressor is. The Jews who used to be oppressed by the Nazis are now oppressing the animals. And, and so the, the victim has become, the, the, the good person has become the bad person, and, um, and it's, uh, the, you know, the Jewish Nazi, Nazi image comes there. Uh, which gives me a great segue to the Arab and Muslim world to, to, to end and, and answer any questions you would have. Uh, because the inverted uh, Shkita model is, um, has served another cause of post-Holocaust anti-Semitism, which is uh, anti-Zionism. And uh, so this time, the innocent animal being slaughtered is the Palestinian, and the Jew keeps the knives, the cruelty, and the bloodthirsty look, and the hunger for innocent blood is an intrinsic, intrinsic part of the ritual. Um, as much as in the past, Jews needed the, uh, the Christian blood for their unleavened bread, now they need Palestinian blood to guarantee their supremacy over the land and over the world. Um, two caricatures. Uh, one on the left by um, see the image of death with a with the star of David uh, and a skull cap, um, drinking blood that was just freshly harvested from Gaza um, from a Lebanese cartoonist, and the other one um, uh, Sharon butcher of Jenin to Gaza and uh, Baraj, uh, December two thousand and two, uh, and you see the uh, the handless. Uh, Palestinians hanging uh, like pieces of meat, and Ariel Sharon depicted as a butcher with a bloody uh, knife. And of course, the fa favorite character of Muslim and Arab cartoons uh, is Ariel Sharon, uh, very often depicted as a butcher, with blood on his hands, knives, and some kind of sadistic grin. Uh, he's first associated, with, of course, with uh, the massacre of, of Sabra and Shatila in 82 in Lebanon, later with the second intifada. In both cases, he was accused of being responsible. Um, and, um, and again, here we have the you know, ritual slaughter being instrumentalized to serve an anti-Semitic purpose uh, by reaffirming the connection between Jews' blood and the murder of innocents. Um, there's also the, uh, in some uh, Christian-leaning Arab media, there's also the, uh, the recycling of the day side in comparison to Palestinians dead, Palestinian dead, with Jews being the, the murderers in both cases. So you have, you know, Jesus 2,000 years ago and the Palestinian uh, often depicted on a crucifix or, uh, you know, with Jerusalem as the, uh, as the segue, um, and you have this juxtaposition. Um, and finally, it's interesting to see with the Second Intifada what, what it led to and how Palestinian children became the new lambs that were being slaughtered by Jews slash Israelis. Um, in 2000, for example, Palestinian NGOs uh, spread the, um, the accusation that Israeli doctors were inoculating the HIV virus to Palestinian children who were hospitalized in, uh, in Israel and the Palestinian territories. Um, the same year was, of course, the famous case in Gaza of the death of Mohammed al-Dura. And I think you've had a session here about the, the, the media dimension of it, so I won't go into details. But uh, it was very clear to me that uh, we, we were again recycling this idea of uh, Jewish love for blood mm -hmm. and, um, and the, the sacrificial lamb uh, 
you know, that had become uh, uh, the, the sacrificial Palestinian. And of course, every time there's a raid, an Israeli raid on, on, on a Palestinian uh, city, or else uh, children, when children are among victims, uh, that's the, the myth gets, uh, that gets uh, or the association gets uh, uh, reinvigorated. So as a conclusion, we started off with uh, the, uh, some kind of incongruity of the ban on, on animal ritual slaughter in Switzerland um, with, uh, with a country with an insignificant Jewish population, 17,000. And um, quickly it traveled um, and it turned out that the attacks on Shkita used animal welfare as a form of, as a disguised form of, of anti-Semitism. And then from there, we went to the modern time, to more contemporary times, where, um, in, in spite of their the modernity, century-old cliches have been recycled. They cite ritual murder, unassimilability, and conspiracy theories. And we see how the obsession with, the, uh, of Sh with Shrita traveled across time and place, in spite of the small number of Jews for which it really matters, um, which clearly showed that there was, there was a, a larger uh, agenda. It served Nazi Germany and occupied countries. It justified racist asylum policies. It brought strange bedfellows together, uh, animal rights activists and fundamentalists uh, uh, of all kinds, really. At least the fundamentalist breed of, of, of animal activists, Holocaust deniers, neo-Nazis, and militant secularists. And now it's uh, in, instrumentalized in the Arab and Muslim world for anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist purposes. And because this theme is precisely so transgenerational and so transnational, it uh, reinforces the image of the Jew as a slaughterer, from the Swiss cows to the children from Matzah, and from Jesus to Mohammed al-Dura. Thank you. And I'm sorry if you lost your appetite after all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you very much, and Bridget is welcoming questions. Well, um, one of the persons I thought about uh, is, is it not possible that the animal rights position is not a disguised uh, form of anti-Semitism, but is actually a legitimate position, whether people believe it or not? No. Oh, I think it is. You know, I'm talking about those who are involved in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the, in, in this uh, particular ban. What is interesting is that in, in, in this, in the case of Switzerland, because this is the case I know best, um, Animal rights activists were not interested in fighting other forms of slaughter. Okay. It's not that they were saying, you know, we should all become vegetarian because what is you're doing to animals is disgusting, mm -hmm. which would be a totally, absolutely fair uh, uh, claim. Uh, they were not interested in, in, in saying, you know, what, how are we slaughtering chickens like in those, you know, factories for animals and and uh, and all the other other forms of slaughtering that are not necessarily more humane. Uh, than uh, than, uh, than uh, traditional slaughter. So the I'm, I'm not you know I'm not uh, accusing all animal rights activists to be uh, to be anti-Semitic. Far from that. Uh, what is interesting in the cases um, in the case that I followed is that there was an obsession about this particular form of slaughter, okay. and not a general real you know uh, sympathy for for animal rights. Uh, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you for your uh, very interesting uh, lecture. Uh, I think it's not just uh, slaughtering because PETA, for example, they are just a kind of, they are obsessed with paralyzing the 
situation uh, of chews and a lot of loss and with all kinds of animals, especially chicken and mm -hmm. so on. But it's also interesting in Germany, for example, uh, there has no uh, German mainstream people, animal rights activists, whatever, have been um, accusing them of being anti-Semitic, just the Jewish community, so they have been right alone. And what I'd like, like to ask you, um, there is an interesting quote in the Dialectics of Enlightenment from Hockham Adorno, 1947, uh, where they were um, saying that Christians actually have a kind of obsession with blood, and therefore, because they don't want to say we have an obsession with blood, they make a kind of projection to the Jews, and they are accusing, well, they on their own, they would like to be like, um, slaughtering like this maybe, and they have an obsession with blood, but they don't say they make an obsession, I think it's like this, maybe you dealt with this... Uh... No, I think you're right. Uh, I'm not an expert in transfers and like other, other psychological terms, but there's definitely a lot of, you project a lot on the, uh, on the enemy, what you don't want, what you're denying to yourself, it's uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely. And especially the image of, of, of the, of the uh, suffering and, and uh, bleeding Christ is so strong and so eternalized. And, uh, and because of, the, the, of, of Jesus' ability to, I mean, first the hope that he, of his second coming, etc., etc., nurtures this uh, and, uh, everywhere in art and, and, and the representation of Jesus that, that most people have in mind is someone bleeding, someone suffering. Um, and it, I think it definitely has uh, adds a lot to the uh, to the associations. For example, look at the pictures in, in, in especially Catholic churches. You mm -hmm. always see Christ, and then the old one, all there is is black. They, the stigma, they, yeah. They, they have an They want to see it. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. Just very quick, I think Bob Dylan, when he left the church, seems to some neighborhood bully, and he talks about how he won't drink blood. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to actually add, just add to that. Um, I think it's not just about suffering, but especially um, the drinking of blood uh, as wine, supposedly, you know, which turns now. Not supposedly if you're Catholic. No, but that's, I think, even more it. So it is not just about suffering, mm -hmm. it's really a projection. Right, right. I'd like to ask about the situation in America, whether there are any parallels or instances of the same. So what I found in America, uh, my, my research is mostly uh, you know, about Europe, but what I found in America was the, uh, the, the PETA situation, uh, not to the point where I've seen it in Europe where, uh, but someone, you know, I, I may be wrong, uh, of the actual um, in full inversion of Jews have become the Nazis of the animals. But more of this juxtaposition, uh, the, the animal holocaust, using the word holocaust for animals, for example, using the word concentration camps for cages, uh, or for you know, places where, where animals are, you know, the confined spaces where they are. Um, so I think it's, um, uh, I think it's, 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 uh, it's annoying, but it's, uh, it's less uh, uh, outspoken or in your face as what can be seen in other countries. Um, uh, the other thing also is that, um, that there's a critical mass of people who eat kosher and halal meat here. So um, I, th I think it makes a difference. However, with what happened with the, the uh, kosher meat plant in Iowa this summer, um, I think you know, that doesn't help. Uh, and as much as a lot of people who eat, not even are Jewish or Muslim think that kosher meat has some, some positive uh, uh, elements uh, of hygiene and otherwise, and we know that in the uh, in, in America a lot of people think that buy kosher meat because for for whatever reason, and they're not, not for religious ones. 
Um, I think that the what happened this uh, this, uh, this past summer is uh, might create some serious problems. Um, what about the history of uh, ritual slaughter in America? Were there any bans or? None that I know of. None that I know of. I don't know if anybody here has more information about the uh, the situation in the U.S. But uh, no. And uh, just for those who don't know, the, the meatpacking plant in Iowa that provides most of the kosher meat in North America was discovered. There's all kinds of hygiene issues and I think immigration, illegal workers being treated horribly. It was a whole scandal. But PETA started actually accusing them a couple of years ago with, uh, you know, you know the, the, the PETA method is they, they try to they get into a plant. Uh, kosher or not, that's not the problem. They go into a plant with a hidden camera and they film the treatment that, uh, that animals uh, get and then they post it on the internet and say look how disgusting it is and they did that with agri-processors plan in, in Iowa a couple of years ago uh, to accuse them of mistreating animals and not slaughtering them in a humane way. Uh, what happened this past summer is that as you said Charlie it turned out that they were not only <laughs> mistreating animals uh, but they were mistreating their own laborers, they were, they were hiring minors, illegal immigrants, making them do uh, crazy shifts um, using huge saws and, and knives that were dangerous without any of the right protection. Uh, hygiene was a big question and they ended up closing and fighting for chapter 11. And, um, and so it, didn't, it was not a good publicity for the, uh, for the kosher meat market and, uh, and, the, and, the, and, that pro and that method. Actually, just you can go out of this building, go 15 meters on the left side, two weeks ago, I saw a sticker of Peter. And uh, what I think, in addition to what you told, I think it's also kind of what I call softcore denial. Because in, because in Germany, you have several kinds of those pictures from Peter uh, dealing with Jews on the one side, and not just accusing Jews of being the murderers of today's animals, but if they say, if one of the books of Peter, in Patterson, uh, for animals, it's everyday Treblinka, or also another slogan of them is for uh, animals, every human being is a Nazi, this is a kind of soft call denial. It's a denial of the Holocaust because they deny what really happened to the Jews in the Holocaust. And I think this is even as worse as... as yeah, it's a form of belittling and... and, and Banalization and, and making it, uh, you know, just making the Holocaust an, an everyday word and, and losing its original uh, uh, meaning for sure. Any other questions, comments? Okay, so on behalf of Lisa, we thank you very much for a wonderful paper. Thank you. caricatures and uh, for some reason the origin of this one it just says San Francisco 2002 and so it's American but uh, it has typos it says trademark instead of trademark and I don't know but uh, just to uh, to leave you with, a, with, a, with an image Bassam you're not you're oh yeah it is interesting <laughs> all right one, one last question for me. I mean, uh, this is uh, clearly anti-Semitism, but uh, you know, 
same people who do this uh, cartoons, uh, they establish uh, the uh, comparison <coughs> between Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Do you have uh, any comment on this? Yeah? The comparison of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. I think there is. What I was saying earlier is that I think they're, they're, they're treated separately. It's some very similar themes, but what you, either you attack the Jews or you attack the Muslims. But it's, I've no, seldom but the, seen the them... Islamists do that. I mean, the Islamists engage in this... Uh, the Islamists who are anti-Semitic by themselves yeah. engage in this comparison. Oh yeah, but that's all coming from... Uh, I'll show you the book. It's all coming from a book about uh, anti-Semitic characters in the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's, it's ironical because, again, they use the same slaughtering techniques for animals. But they've they've recycled the the old images, the old anti-Semitic images of uh, blood, ritual murder, etc., for their for their own purposes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.